Welcome to Adopting Zero Trust, an independent podcast. Our hosts, Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis, will have transparent and open conversations with the people driving modern security approaches forward while leaving vendor hype behind. It's time to remove implicit trust and buzzwords and get to the root of the movement. Welcome back to Adapting Zero Trust or AZT. I am Elliot Volkman, your producer, alongside Neil, our host. And we are kicking off this season with probably the best guest we could have ever brought to the table for y'all. So instead of our standard approach, I'm going to put them on the spot and ask an awkward question. But to our lovely guest, can I ask for a huge favor? You all start with an iconic entry for your episodes. <laughs> Sorry, you, you know where I'm going with this. Can we get your intro i want to just paste right over what we're doing what is Wait, yeah, are we so, talking about like, like, like original intro yeah yeah oh wow i haven't done that in a few years <laughs> what's going on everybody you're in the hacker valley studio with your hosts ron and chris yes sir welcome back to the show Glad to be back again. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I, I had to do that. I knew it would also make our lovely host over here his day. But thank you so much. I think we don't need an actual introduction after that, right? So we've got Hacker Valley here. We have Chris. We've got Ron. These are like the storytellers of our cybersecurity space. They have lived and breathed everything that we have talked about for the last couple of years. And for the foreseeable future until Neil gets tired of me and we kill this show. But we have fantastic guests, and we're going to just start with some really basic stuff. So you all hopefully should be familiar with Hacker Valley and media and what they do. If not, uh, Chris and Ron, maybe we can just start there. What what sparked the creation? How did you all connect up, and how did what you all do today even start? You want to start, Ron? Let's do it. We got started, me and Chris, we met around 2015 2016 we worked at the same company uh, back in maryland worked at a startup called ironnet Cybersecurity. uh chris was a threat intel guy i was a threat hunter and we we also just so happened to be the only black people that worked in this office at the company they sat us right next to each other great idea by the way because we hit it off and we we just grew towards each other we we loved personal growth we loved just putting ourselves out there in new ways but with that best friend love story, I moved away to the other side of the country and I started working at a company, a uh, startup, a few startups, and also worked at Intel as well. And I was there for about two years. And at that time, around year two of me being in California, I started doing YouTube videos. And then I saw that Chris was also doing like this workout series. He hired a professional film crew and everything. They were following him when he woke up and they were doing these workouts in, in just like parks in the gym. It looked really good. He's got to, maybe he'll pull those up someday. But we, I was doing this YouTube series. Chris moved to California. So, hey, me and my family were moving out to Cali. I'm moving before my family because they have a school and whatnot that my kids still have to finish up for the year. I had just rented a hacker house with another friend. And it was like this big six bedroom mansion at the time when I moved in, it was just me and one other friend. So we, we needed other people to move in to make this a hacker house. We also built a studio in the house and the studio, God bless my landlord. He didn't know until we moved out that we built this studio at this house that we rented, but we had these sound blankets draped across the room 
and it was from the ceiling. It's not draped across from the, the wall because he didn't have that attachment when I was trying to build the studio. So I was like, I'm just going to go through the ceiling. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that for anyone that wants to get into the, the content game. But at this time, I was doing YouTube videos. Chris said, hey, I know that you're doing the YouTube video thing, but let's go up to that studio and let's jump on the mics and see what happens. So we did that. And little did we know that we ha- when we we're having that conversation was episode one of Hacker Valley Studio. Thank you so much for that story in the background. It's similar to how I connected up with Neil. We used to work together. Uh, I terrorized him. I think I actually wrote most of his presentations. I left and I was like, hey, this is probably one of the smarter guys about threat intel. Uh, I'll just uh, get him and his beard on camera and that'll work out great. But <laughs> yeah, I've never been able to shave. Um, I will just say, <laughs> keep sending me Snickers and... Uh... Uh, I will be yours. When I even forgot about that. But <laughs> the reason why I specifically ask about that is because you all actually come from the practitioner side. I am more from the journalism, unfortunately, marketing side. But you all bring conversations to the table, and now you work. You, you joined enemy line, so to speak. But yeah, you're yeah. helping these companies be able to actually tell stories and appeal to people who have been in your shoes. So I think that is one of the biggest things to call out here. And the reason why I say that is because they are primarily our listeners, our watch, maybe watchers. We have three of those, mostly listeners. They are in, have been in your shoes. How do they move up? How do they expand their careers and do more in their space? You all created stories. You all created an entire company around telling stories and appealing to people and that nature. So that is that is the the focal point of where I will hand this off to Neil. Neil has this love and interest of helping people break into the career, but not just the entry points, but how do you expand? And you all have mm-hmm. built an entire company around expansion. So Neil, that's where I'm going to throw it at to you. You can figure it out from there. <laughs> This is awesome. This is the this is the least nuggets he's made me have to work with in a while. So this is definitely going to go someplace. That, that being said, I just want to share one quick anecdote with Chris. So I don't know if Chris remembers this or not, but I've worked at True Star. I've worked at another place mm-hmm. that I'll mention here in a few seconds. But I was I was on the the I don't know what you call me over there anymore. But I was the guy that did all the normal crap that actually got people to buy the product. So sales engineer stuff and other weird crap, right? But that being said, when you were at 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 the Netflix for a few mm. years, a couple years, however long that was. I know our team was hard charging you from a sales perspective, but then you were starting yeah. this podcast journey. And then coincidentally enough, I moved from, from True Star over to another company with a friend of mine from True Star, Doug, and we were at King & Union for all four <laughs> yeah. months. So I remember this is my intro to podcasting in general. I'd Seen, read, listened to a lot, never participated in. I've done a lot of other things, webinar stuff, but never podcasting. Y'all come into our space and you set up at that spot in the back of our little room and you're there for two days straight, just nonstop lights up, (laughs) microphones going, y'all are going to town and all this stuff. Hey, that kind of looks fun. Don't know if I'm ever going to do that. Don't know if I have the motivation to put forth that much effort on my own accord to do that. And then flash forward (laughs) a couple of years and here's Elliot and uh, whispering in the back of my ear while he's on vacation. Like, I got this idea for a podcast. I want you to come in and and help me out. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Let's do it. Let's have fun. So flash forward two years now, and here we are. And it's been fun. There you are. So I want to say y'all were literally my intro physically into what it is to do this stuff and the commitment level and all the stuff y'all did at that, even at that early on stage is just impressive and amazing. So thank uh, y'all. Appreciate and it. I don't think I ruined any of y'all's recordings, but maybe I did. I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. 
That day was awesome. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. That was that was the last real big event before the world went to pot. So yeah, yeah that was right, right before, before the pandemic. It was mm-hmm. yeah, February twenty twenty, sitting there in San Francisco, having a blast, <laughs> yeah. not caring the world. Everybody doing what they want to do, partying, having fun, interviews, all the fun stuff. And then flash forward a month later, and man, we didn't go much, did we? That being said, to move us forward to Elliot's points, yo, I've I've. I am motivated to do this. This is why I haven't recorded because I am legitimately working on a backdrop and an actual legit spot mm. to set. So I've made this my goal for the next couple of months, month or so to figure out a space over here in my room to actually have a legit Love spot. It. And that being said, the podcast, the idea that I have, I've been, once again, I've been very fortunate in, in previous engagements to have been asked to be on other people's podcasts a lot and give some insights on the career field, on Intel, on what it takes to be an mm. Intel analyst on the private sector. And pre-COVID, nobody gave a rat's butt, to be fair. There was only a handful of large companies that were hiring, quote, Intel. And then they, I'm sure you all know, weren't really using them the right way. You were PowerPoint monkeys at best if we could even do that. So we didn't even really get to do much of that. And so two years ago, did a podcast interview about uh, some career stuff. And I'll reference that when I get to my, my personal endeavors here. But that podcast was strictly about how to break into the Intel career field on this side. That was the point of the interview anyways. Did that interview. I was not expecting much, if anything. I get the occasional LinkedIn reach out. I get the occasional email follow-up from all the ones we've done. But it's usually more people trying to follow up a story, typically. That podcast only had maybe 5,000 views in the first month. But out of those 5,000 views, I feel like every single person (laughs) reached out to me on LinkedIn. And I felt like a heel. And this this keeps recurring. They rerun this thing about once every six months. And every time they rerun it, Mm -hmm. I get a swath of people reaching out. And 20, 30 people literally every time. So I feel bad because I can never reply to all those. There's people wanting education. They're wanting to learn how to break into the market. So the idea here and the hope of this conversation is to give some people some starter packages on where to look, both education-wise, both and also maybe from interview tips, what types of skill sets to really highlight and then from my perspective, one of the things I plan to highlight in mind is, one, a military influence, because that's where we come from, Marine Corps background, mm-hmm. Intel, all that fun stuff. But I want to educate people who have a military Intel background a little bit on what those skills are here, as much as mm-hmm. I want to give just the audience as a whole an opportunity to support themselves as well. So the end of the podcast, after whatever discussion happens, have one or two people literally do a video resume of sorts, if you will, for two to five minutes. And that's the end of the podcast. So that being said, I'm very curious y'all's take on one, just getting started just in cybersecurity as a whole, what y'all think is critical to know, whether it's boot camps, whether it's college, whether it's just OJT, whether it's combinations of all that stuff, or whether it doesn't really matter so long as you just take the leap off the off the cliff, right? So I'm going to mm-hmm. leave it at that for a few moments and see where we go. Yeah, so I'll I'll touch on the breaking in thing for a second, because I would say if it's a skill, if it's one skill that I have, it's breaking into communities started in the the Marine Corps, right? So broken in there, you basically just have to sign up, but then going into the intelligence community, then going from there to break into cybersecurity, and then from cybersecurity to content creator, and then from content creator to marketing. So running that gambit. But I would say that I think the thing that gets people hosed up is like, oh, I don't have all of the skills necessary to start the job. But think about some of the skills that you do have right now that you can start leveraging in that that position. And then you'll learn all the other pieces along the way, whether you're 
creating a project to learn those secondary skills, whether you're talking to people, belonging to different groups, going to meetups, those types of things, all, all these different things, I would say that, yeah, just being interested and being curious about cybersecurity is the first thing that you have to do. And then start talking to people. Cause I think in the beginning, it was really tough to meet up with people and, and get that information. Cause it was like a very clicky in the very beginning, but I'd, I'd say today is probably the most welcoming the field has ever been. And so just talking with people, understanding what the different roles and different skill sets are, I think is where people need to really start. But yeah, just start and just do your best. And that, that's how you really break into cybersecurity. Breaking in is, I think, the easiest and also the hardest thing to do. You definitely have to have a plan. So when I when I got into the industry, I had a great mentor. I met this person. His name is Marcus Carey. He's a Austin uh, resident, just, just like us. And But I met him when I was living in Maryland. That's where I grew up. And this person, he, he just really told me, hey, if you do this certification first, this certification second, you start reaching out to these types of companies, here's your, your opportunities, network engineer, because I was focused on my CCNA and Network Plus back then. And network engineers, that was a very strong profile for them back in like 2010. But today, it's a whole different bag because you're not doing like the cold uh, applications anymore. People might know who you are because of things like LinkedIn. So if I'm trying to break in today, I'm looking at how can I be connected with someone that could show me in the most positive light? How can I go on a podcast like this or go on Hacker Valley Studio? All I need is just one chance to speak about what I want to do. And someone's going to someone's going to see that. And that's your opportunity. You still have to work for it after that point. But that's at least your your entry point in. Uh, I think when you're trying to just do like the, the job boards. That could still be effective, but that could be really defeating as well. Getting interviews and not knowing if they're going somewhere because you don't have that reference on the inside that's giving you those at least small updates like, hey, it's you're still good for now or you, you might want to go and apply for more places. When you're doing it cold, you're lost in the sauce. You don't really know what's happening. Yeah, I think y'all both hit on two big things for me. One, networking as a whole. So when we think about the market space, I... I can look back on my career post-military and I've only gotten one of my jobs by simply cold contact. Mm -hmm. And every, every role I've had or every opportunity I've been solicited for has been because I either knew someone there or someone who'd worked there, one or the other, or because I was working with a recruiting company of small scales usually that have always been a trusted advisor. So basically inroads still through connections and stuff like that. Yep. So I think the old adage is not what you know, it's who you know, is unfortunately very, very true. There are still ways to break in with without those connections, but that's a pure numbers game. The only reason why I got that first role, I, I probably put my resume out there at least 150 plus applications before I got a couple of bites, which led to literally one offer. And that, that's where it was. And that was back in 2012 or so, 2013. And, then, and with LinkedIn, there's another category. It's the who knows you. You don't even have to need mm -hmm. to know that person with LinkedIn. As long as people know who you are, then that I think that is just as effective of knowing mm -hmm. who other people are. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I agree. And then mentorship, Ron, you mentioned this one. So I think this is something I think people are afraid to do. They're afraid to solicit for mentorship. They're afraid to reach out to someone and, and whether it's somebody you already know at your company, your current place of work, or whether it's somebody literally on LinkedIn, once again, there are a lot of people on LinkedIn that say, I'm a mentor, come talk with me. And 
hopefully they have a lot more time to manage it and do a better job than I have. But there are those people <laughs> who are willing to do that to perfect strangers. And so I'm curious from that take mentorship perspective. I know y'all do a lot of that by proxy of your current mm -hmm. business model and things like that. But Ron, you mentioned how impactful that was. Chris, how about yourself? Have you had a really solid mentor in your, in your life or multiple at all? Oh, I've yeah. had several. Yeah. And you know, when we were talking about breaking into different places, each sort of industry or hobby or whatever it is that I break into, I always look for a mentor of some sort because I'm trying to shortcut that learning curve so I can learn as fast as possible, beat my head against those challenges and get to a place where I'm competent or capable to do whatever that thing is. But yeah, I've had mentors throughout my entire life. Honestly, I wouldn't be where I am today without those folks either giving me a shot, giving me knowledge, hitting me over the head when I make a mistake. All of those different things is, has led me to, to be as capable as I am today. So yeah, mentorship is huge. And what I will say, just a little piece of advice for folks, especially if you're trying to get a mentor that's super busy, do your work first right? And then talk to them. If you decide on day one that you want to be in cybersecurity and you're going to reach out to the CEO of CrowdStrike, you're going to have a hard time getting them to, to be your mentor. But if you've done your, your, your homework and you have a specific area where you know that they can help you in, that, in your endeavor, it makes it a lot easier for folks to say yes. So I'll just give that little nugget out for everybody. There's another aspect of mentorship that Chris has discovered that I don't think anyone has looked at yet. Chris, please drop that gem. Which one? Chat GPT. Oh, oh yeah. I've, I've done this thing called executive coaching for a while. I got my certification a little while back. Ended up not using it, but I'll do it with friends every once in a while. One of the things that one of the exercises they taught us was having this table of mentors. And this table of mentors could be anyone that your mind can conceive. People that are alive or dead, fictional characters, cartoons, animals, whatever you make this table whatever you want it to be. And you would ask those individuals those questions. And you think about what, how would they respond to that question? And a lot of times that what that teaches you is that most people have the answers that they need to the questions that they have. And if you understand like someone's methodology or their philosophy, you could probably get pretty close to what their answer would be in real life. But you could take it another level when you're using things like ChatGPT. You could say, all right, I have these people at my table of mentors. Let's say if we're talking about marketing, we got Gary V, Chris Doe, uh, Seth Godin, all at a table. And I have this question, how would they respond? So you could take that to the next level because ChatGPT has access to a number of articles and things and books about those people and how they think about those subjects. And so, yeah, that's a, a quick tidbit about how to use ChatGPT for, from a mentorship perspective. Oh, yeah. I think that's fun. I've, I've started a Cyber History Monday thing that I use ChatGPT to supplement every once in a while. I think people need <laughs> to understand the power of what that brings. That's an that's a awesome use case. So well played. So awesome. So on the mentorship program, ChatGPT, I think that's a wonderful idea around how to leverage that generative AI perspective to get some fun insights right and you're right there's a lot of models around in the papers for answers and responses i think it's a pretty cool idea on that note thinking about mentorship a little bit more thinking about growth one of the things that i think a lot of people fear is on the education side so we think about mentorship and networking definitely fundamentals i i think those go a long way more than just your basic education can ever bring you because then you can figure out where like y'all mentioned where you need to go right so from an education perspective, let's say somebody wants to just get started in cybersecurity, what would be your 
top two or three avenues to approach that from an education perspective. And as an example, we have a lot of people that come from an IT background, administrative background that transition over, right? So they do that in company sometimes, or they go do some certs. We have people who look at boot camps. We have people in college. And then we have people who just say, screw it. I'm just going to go use chat GPT and learn how to program things. So what are maybe your top two or three options on the table for educating yourself or approaching the education journey beyond that mentorship and link and networking perspective? What I have always been a big fan of is like trying to train around other people that are professionals. Like if you're trying to get your, the best body possible, you, you want to go to the best gym possible as well. I look at something like SANS as like a place where professionals go and get training. So um, that that costs money. There's a nice price tag associated with SANS events. Uh, what I would do if I was someone breaking into the industry right now, though, is I would reach out to SANS and ask if I could volunteer. There's always going to be at least one of those events per year, maybe a few that are going to have volunteer opportunities. I would either fly or drive to them and I would get that professional training and I would also get close with the person that's giving that training. So that's an opportunity to meet the trainer as well. A lot of them have consulting practices. So that might also be an opportunity to, to land some work right after getting that training. That would be that would be my recommendation and how I would do it if I were to have to try to break in today. Nice. Chris, how about yourself? Yeah, I would sir? say for me, I, I think it really depends on the person. I'm a terrible traditional student, four-year degree. I struggled, y'all. I had a hard time making it to that finish line. I did it through sheer will and perseverance, but I'm more of ad hoc, build-your-own-pathway type of learner, whether it's pulling up articles or studies or videos or taking a short course or going to a SANS thing. I really like being able to shape my own learning myself. And then I, I'd say the number one thing for me is uh, project-based, right? Uh, mm. I learned business not through college. I learned about business through starting my first company, right? I learned so much just putting my my head to the grindstone and figuring out all the stuff that needed to, to happen and, and for, for in order for a business to be successful. So I, I would say it depends on the people. There are some people out there that they would prefer an entire evolution where, hey, I, for the next four years, I don't want to be dedicated to this, but I'm going to let my instructors take me through the entire journey. But some people have to cowboy it and, and go around and figure out and find all the things that you, you need to do yourself. So I would, I would say it depends, but I don't think there's any wrong or right way to do it. But I will say it, it's really dependent upon like someone's personality. No, that's awesome. I, to hit on some of those things. So Ron, you talk about conference or event networking, back to networking loosely, right? In a sense, mm -hmm, yeah. in a roundabout way is I, I, I hang these up on purpose because I don't want people to think that going to cons is a bad thing or that going to a lot of them is a bad thing. I, I think there's this, there used to be this, this kind of look down upon people who went to everything they could go to kind of mentality. Oh, you went to 500 conferences this year. Good for you. whoop de doo And I, I think there's something to be said from a social engagement aspect at an event. And I, I'm very fortunate in my career right now where I go to probably about 10, 15 different conferences a year for the sake of my clients, like my clients that I help manage at my day job. And in and of themselves, they're communities. They, they have their own group of people. They have their own management series and things that they do. It's ISAC, ISAC world. But in and of that, what I see a lot, you show up because you're invited, whether you do anything or not. And at the end of the conference, something and hopefully have a better idea of who to talk with to get there. Mm. And on that flip side, 
I also, I don't have a college degree. I, mine is all military, OJT, a handful of certs, things like that. And mm. granted, I'll admit, I think that path is a little more difficult nowadays to have that journey, especially out of the military than it was in the early 2000s. But I, I think to me, that's the point. I think that people need to understand college is a path, but it doesn't have to be your path. Certifications right. is a path, but it doesn't have to be your path. And to Chris's point, find something that rings true for you, move forward with it, see if it sticks, see if you progress. If you don't reassess and move on to another task, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I hope people understand is there's, there really is no one, one make it easy path. Uh, I would rather yep. sit in a, in a two week boot camp than sit in a six month college course every other day. <laughs> so yeah, just give it to me fire hose style. And mm -hmm. then the last part and, Ron, you mentioned this a little bit as well. There's a gentleman in Dallas named Philip Wiley. I think most people who yep. have been around know Philip. I know y'all know him. He was at y'all's event. Philip does a wonderful program about hacking the courses. And so mm -hmm. he teaches people how to save a few bucks and reverse engineer courses so you can at least break in that direction. I think that's also critical is to understand how to do that and do that. Thanks, ChatGPT. Probably help a lot. Yeah. I think that there is a big difference between breaking in and getting education, though. I think that if you're breaking in, you're actively trying to get employment. Like for the people that do take the college route, I'd look at that as you're trying to build your knowledge and foundation on security first and then get into the industry. So I think like you also have to like address with yourself. Are you trying to get educated or are you trying to get employment? Yeah, two different goals. Definitely. And hopefully assess what the goal of that education is. If you're going just to go, awesome. But if you're going because you have a job skill in mind or a job set rather that you want to apply for, definitely make sure you're on the right path, right? Don't just go to college mm -hmm. because someone said to go. Don't get that cert because someone said to get that cert, especially if you're paying right. for it. If somebody else is going to pay for it, hell, I'll go. Sign me up. But uh, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, that, that's a very fair point, Ron. So I have a, I guess it's a semi-sensitive question for some people. We're talking about breaking in. We're talking about getting started. We're talking about what that endeavor looks like a little bit. My curiosity question, this is also the aim of what I want to bring to the, to the podcast I was mentioning, is you have a large group of people who say there's a cybersecurity skills shortage, right? Mm -hmm. But they're also the same people who put out a job rec that says, I want someone with 10 years of experience in SQL, 18 years with nuclear physics, <laughs> and 32 yeah. years with scuba diving instructing. And it's an internship yeah. program. We've gotten a little better with that, but that still exists, right, to this day. Right. So my question to both of y'all, which side of the coin or are you somewhere in between-ish on, A, the cybersecurity skills gap, if that's a reality simply because there aren't enough people, or B, the reality is people are just ignorant in their hiring practices or something in between. That's fine. Yeah. And then <laughs> the secondary part of that question is, how do y'all think from an approach to solve whichever side of that issue yeah no this is a great question in fact this was a question that sparked an entire series that we did called technically divided and this was our very first episode uh was focused on uh the skills gap right is there a skills gap or not and we brought on alan alford and had a great conversation about it and at the very towards the very end we're always trying to find a way to like how do we wrap all of these these findings up in a nugget and we basically come to the conclusion that it isn't necessarily a skills gap or a personnel gap. It's a disconnect. And what we mean by disconnect is there are people with skills that can be useful in cybersecurity. 
that might not have that traditional background, but can be applied in cybersecurity. We just have to open our minds to that possibility. Like you were saying about the job wreck, if I'm uh, someone who's been a lawyer and I understand policies like no one's business, but I look at this job wreck and I need a CISSP, I'm going to be like, oh, that's not me next. But you might be able to do that job because you have the skill set or the mindset or the frameworks in order to do that work. So I would say that it's a bit of a disconnect. There are, of course, going to be new technologies that people need to learn and develop. But I would say from a skills and personnel perspective, we need to figure out how do we bring all these people into the industry to help us out? Yeah, it's came to the same conclusion as what Chris just described through that episode that it can't be on one side. There are a lot of people with the skills. There's a lot of jobs. I see jobs all the time on Google, on LinkedIn, Reddit. There's tons of job postings on Reddit and cyber. There's a whole thread about cyber job hiring and and Reddit. I think that the the what it really boils down to when people feel as though there's a skills gap is people want the best. They want the best of the best when it comes to cybersecurity professionals. They want the people that have a a big influence. They want people that uh, are great mentors. They want people that have the skills to do the technical work or the leadership work. And there's not that many people that are available when it comes to that because they might already have the right employer for, for them. So I think that what another gap is, is we're not necessarily raising the next generation of cybersecurity practitioners with the best intention. Putting someone in front of a screen that just has alert after alert after alert. That's not a good way to build someone up to be creative. So I think that that's another piece is like, if we want to like have a ecosystem of where people are the best of the best, then you have to almost treat them like they're going to become the best of the best one day. And I think that unfortunately with cyber, we need to get the, the job done. And sometimes we're not necessarily taking the proactive steps. So we find ourselves in this, this rat race of, detection and response. Yeah, that's a whole nother fun topic, isn't it? The SOC fatigue and analyst fatigue, all the fun stuff that comes around, all that <laughs> stuff. So I, I think that, thank you all, first off, for sharing those. That, that That's a wonderful insight and a good perspective. And that, that's what I was hoping. I have another quick question on that. How many times has someone looked at both of y'all and been like, you, you've gone to them, say, hey, there's a lot of things going on. Wish I could have some help here to do X, Y, and Z. Or you're complaining. We all like to complain eventually about our jobs, our life, and whenever things aren't going easy, smooth, whatever it may be. But you put forth something and your boss goes, man, I just wish I could clone you and then everything would be perfectly fine. And you look at them, you go, don't clone me. Just give me five other people that want to learn crap. I'll clone myself. Please and thank you. How many times has someone really said that to you? And then you're still stuck with the same problems, even though there's a budget to hire. But to your point, they're looking for you, not someone else that you can help become you. Yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah, we, we got to train up our folks. We got to pass everything down. This is what you're doing with this show. This is what we do with all of our shows. We try to help educate and inspire everyone to kind of like take the mantle, take that hill. And But I think sometimes we get really myopic. We get really focused on the challenge that we have, the dumpster fire that we're focused on right now, and just the people that we have. But if we, I mean, it's all about opening our minds to the other possibilities. Just open your minds like, oh, what if we could bring in some uh, summer interns and, and get them exposed to our culture. And maybe if we train them well enough, they'll say, you know what, when I graduate, I want to come back here and work here full time to continue my journey. There, there's just so many ways to get people excited about the work that we're doing. We just have to open our minds to figuring out how do we make that happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. Ron, anything else to add to that? I think it's. No, not at all. I think that what you were, what you also asked was like, Hey, have, have I ever been in that situation where my manager wants to clone me? Yes, but not, not where it's an unwilling. I feel like that would be a little bit of a compromised situation for both parties. That means that there's too much work for me and that my manager doesn't have the budget to hire someone. But I do think as a uh, subject matter expert or as an individual contributor, your part of your job is protect your boss. Before that conversation happens, I think it's also important for uh, whoever is driving the technical piece to always just be reaching out for help. If you need help, constantly bring it up. Sometimes you don't get it, but as long as you're having that conversation, at least you could progress something going forward, even if it's just creative ways to think of how, how to get additional resources. Yeah, definitely. So paneling it back a little bit more to what y'all mentioned before, talking about hiring and skill sets and what people are looking for. I, I do agree 100% that that's what people are missing in this bucket. To your point, Chris, you talk about skill set A maps out to 92% of it, but because they're missing a cert or whatever key critical piece alluded to, that they don't apply for that job or the HR person overlooks them. So that's one of the things mm -hmm. hoping to address is the skill set mapping and getting people comfortable enough to have conversations with with HR, with whoever the hiring people are in general to say, yeah, I get it. You think this is important, but here's how I can really help you make an impact in this. And more aptly, making sure they're receptive of that discussion. And mm -hmm. there's, a, there's another layer in there as well. If you had someone that once, let's say you, you're doing technical work, you have a manager, your manager says, hey, I'm opening up this role and we're going to be hiring a offensive engineer, we'll be hiring a red team engineer. The first thing that's going to go through your mind is which red teamers do I know? And then you might have three, three great ones, maybe one that's really epic that you just really want to work with. You're going to reach out to those three people just like that. Job search could be over and you didn't even open it up to the public. It was all because of network. So I think that when you're not on the inside of these people, like people hiring managers or staff members, when you're not in their network, it actually makes it a way more difficult to get a job. I'm actually hiring for a video editor right now. Any reference that I get already has a level. It's a level, one level ahead of every other candidate because I have a recommendation. Like they, mm -hmm. someone has certified this person. And, and if someone I trust, then now I have inherent trust in this new person. I think that's often how we try to find applicants and the right team members for our job is like, who can already certify and who's already has that, that level of culture that we're trying to bring into our organization. Yeah, I think that's fair, Ron. And the other part of that, and this goes back to LinkedIn. I think a lot of people are missing on this aspect too, is just because you don't actually know somebody at that company hardcore, look for somebody who's in that shop that you're looking to apply to solicit them on LinkedIn. Hopefully they respond. This happens to me a decent amount. People yep. come out, they say, hey, I see you're at Cyware. I'm looking at this role. What can you tell me about it? Is it a good fit? And I'm not interviewing them. We're just having a cultural vibe check, basically. And if we think that yeah. it's a good thing, then they give me their resume. I get bonus points because I'm the referral bonus. If I feel, And hopefully, if you're part of that equation, you're doing a little due diligence and not just throwing them over the fence and hoping you get the referral bonus. Soliciting people at a company you're looking to apply for, whether it's HR, whether it's somebody in that office, I think can bring you a little bit closer to that reality of getting a slightly higher check mark on that vetting. And then yeah. back to headhunters. 
I, I will never. Is that say- your side hustle, Neil? You, you, you just bring, you just say, Hey, <laughs> Hey, come on to the show. And they're like, Hey, make uh, sure you send me your resume. If you see any, any openings, I'll get you in. No, I, I think I'm on the other side. Can you have my resume for me? No, <laughs> no, I, I, I will give a call out to, to a headhunter organization, Ninja Jobs, Drew and Ooh. Matt and a few others over there that run that program. I call them out specifically because they're focused on a little bit more mid to senior tier talent, but mm-hmm. I've never seen Drew and Matt say no to a resume that didn't have any experience to at least to find something started. It may not even be in their docket of list of jobs that they have, but they take those resumes and they still will make an effort to solicit on behalf. And mm. not every headhunter company is going to do that. Fair play. But there are some that are, are pretty good to work with. There's some that are nice to be around and they can at least get you. And for me, this is critical in front of enough interviews to where you can get comfortable with explaining your role and what you think your impact is. If you've never done an interview before, it's just like this. If you've never done a podcast or a webinar before, you're probably going to have a little doubts, a little fears, maybe a little shaking in your boots, but get out there and do a bunch of interviews. Even if they all suck, even if you're applying for things that don't make sense, but you get an interview, take that exposure and leverage it to help you be able to engage your story towards the next HR endeavor. Mm-hmm. One of the coolest things happened uh, a while back. Uh, we, I had this interview with someone when I worked at Palo Works. Uh, I was working at a startup though, Demisto. I had an interview with someone who was trying to be customer success engineer. I was one of the architects and manager of the customer success team. And uh, we had a great interview. We gave him an offer. He, he declined it. Years later, he discovers Hacker Valley. He's like, hey, I know, I know this company. I, 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 like, I like Ron. And I like Chris. And he worked at CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike ultimately became one of our biggest partners at Hacker Valley. And it, part of it stemmed from just this interview that turned into business in a way that I never expected or ever planned. So I think like by interviewing as well, like you just have a lot of opportunity to meet people and make a positive impression. All right, Neil, I got to I got to throw a curveball in here because I want to take advantage of not just your experience as practitioners and you building companies in that regard, but you all are absolutely fantastic storytellers. And I, I promise there's a direct connection between what we're, we're covering here. So I think it was a previous episode where we were chatting with Chris Lovejoy, Kindrel, if I didn't screw up that name, but one of the elements that stood out in that conversation was the soft skills that come along with this. It can't just all be technical, but you Mm -hmm. realistically have to be a really good storyteller. So I'm just curious, and this is like a really basic, broad question. We can go from there. What do you see in value of being a storyteller as someone on the technical side? Maybe not in the sock, because it might be (laughs) pressing buttons, but as you have to convey information is there value in investing in being able to communicate and tell like a good story behind what you see there you just opened a whole can i know (laughs) storytelling is a skill set that is very very human and applicable to every single person on the planet because when you're 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 storytelling you're you're not just marketing right you're not just making movies you're not just doing podcasts but when you're interviewing, you're storytelling. When you're conveying information to anyone, you're storytelling. When you're asking for resources for a red team, when you're asking for personnel to bring on to the sock, these are all aspects which you need to leverage storytelling in order to get your point across. Because if I just shoot data at you, 
it, it might go in one ear and out the other. But if I can tie that data and evoke an emotion on any level, you're, it's going to be tied to that emotion. It's going to be deep seated in that person's mind. And sure, they may not agree with it, but at a minimum, they heard you and they understood you. But if you don't leverage storytelling, you're missing the mark in a lot of different ways. And so I would say for anyone out there that is in cybersecurity or out, like really focus on that skill of storytelling. We used to tell stories all the time as kids, but I think as we go through school and we go to our jobs and, and we do, we have families, we lose that skill a little bit. But if you just start to flex that muscle every once in a while, you'll start to see that people will start to listen to you. And so I would say storytell as much as possible, get intentional about storytelling and leverage it in everything that you're doing in cybersecurity and in life. Mm -hmm. we're, we're always telling stories about any type of information that we communicate to another person. I've had two people on the podcast that uh, really have opened my eyes to what storytelling could be. The first one was there was this gentleman, Neil Bearden, that we had on. He uh, really focuses on storytelling. And one of his prime stories is a chance encounter that he had with a homeless person that was that he spent the, like the day with that ended up being like one of the better days of his life. And just this one story still sticks with me. I don't want to get into telling all of his story. I would I would say check out Neil Bearden. For one, he's a great storyteller. The, the second one that really opened up my eyes was this gentleman named Robin Black. He's a MMA analyst. And the he literally punched me in the face with stories during our podcast episode. I've never been punched like this with stories, but the way that he breaks his insights on martial arts down relates that back to cybersecurity and makes me feel like I'm all a part of that journey. It was special. And one of the words that he used to describe his technique is by providing nutrient-rich pieces of information. This is the scenic details. Where mm -hmm. were you at when this experience happened? What time was it? Who was around you? Kind of like take me on that journey, make as though it feels like I'm there with you. This gentleman really dropped on the podcast. And after that, me and Chris, we started to, to do courses. We even hired a few storytelling coaches. One coach that we hired was a vocal coach who showed us how to tell stories by using inflection in our voice. She told me that I had an awesome forehead for telling stories. Like, if you lift your eyes up, just think about the, the information that you're, you're giving to the next person. And you know, there's just so many tools, but using these tools is native and built into us, like Chris was describing. And it's just knowing like how to intensify the tools that you have and how you use them for a specific story. All right, Neil, I'm sorry, but we got to shave your head. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm going to wait for nature to take its course in another 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm way ahead of you there. So, Ron, I think there's one piece that I want to pull a little bit further because both you and Chris, fantastic storytellers, and you can definitely tell that you put in the work to do it. But it's not just the words that come out of your mouth and how you say it, but you all, you all are put together like, I mean, there's probably a reason most of our people are listeners instead of uh, watchers. If we, if you're watching, which you probably aren't, Neil has this fantastic background of stickers. And then I just have these stick on things to help reduce echo. But you all also put so much emphasis and focus on just the full picture. 
And I think some of that is we might be creating distractions, which is fine. That's just our thing. And I love it. That aside, but do you feel it's important to just have balance across all of it? So it's not just what you're saying, but what, how you hear it. What value do you see in all of those dis different elements, especially in cybersecurity, when you have to be very factual, but you also have to convey information that's captured and you don't want to distract people with certain things? We're dying for a good story. I think that the whole, the people love to be delighted by a good story as long as it's within reason. You can't go on a 10 minute monologue if you have 30 seconds to tell something to your boss and they really just want to know that piece of information. That's, you know, that's just data dissemination. That's part of what we do as people. You tell me what time you, we're going to meet up. I don't think that you're going to want a long story out of me to tell you what time we're going to meet up. So definitely knowing the time and place, know your audience. And when it comes to using this in cybersecurity and in the world of technology, I think there's always at least a little bit of space for scenic details, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to incident response. Saying the what happened is very important and the how it happened. But I think that there's also a how and why for your customer. When me and Chris worked at a fintech startup, there was this incident that brought down payment processors. And no one was able, none of the customers that I guess were in a specific region were able to use their cards to pull money out and also to pay for things. So we were going through the incident. Chris was, Chris was, we used, we had these meetings where we would narrate and describe what happened on an incident. Chris was going through all of the details and then it got real quiet because Chris brought up a point about the customer and then the I think the CTO jumped in and was like, hey, listen, I just spoke to the customer and they said that people were at the bar. They didn't, they couldn't pay their tab. What do you think happened to them? People needed to get money for their kids. They couldn't do it. What happened? What do you think happened? And I think like bringing in those elements really changes the, the dynamic of a, a cybersecurity incident when you start to think about the people that were involved and are affected by that incident. And I'll touch on the piece where you're talking about the entire experience of producing content. To be honest with you, when we first started, we were really, really good with audio, right? We, we, we wanted our audio to sound great because it was a podcast, right? And then we started to dabble in video. And I would say your setups are infinitely better than our first setups when we started doing video. Like if you go back, I'm sure there are still some videos on the Hacker Valley YouTube of me like in my other office and there's a wall smack dab right behind me and it's like bare, terrible, absolutely terrible. But I will say that attention to detail is one of those really, really important things in anything that you do, whatever your craft is. And so if you're going to create content, even if you have to like, all right, I'm going to get the, the audio nailed down, even though my video isn't all that great. Oh, okay. Now I'm going to get my video nailed down and it, and get it as good as my audio. And then, okay, so my editing is not great right now, but now I'm going to focus on that. You have to piecemeal it. If you try to do everything all at once, you're going to get overwhelm yourself. But I will say, focus on the experience that people are going to have. The devil's in the details, so really focus on those, and then just iteratively improve over time. And that's that's how that's how people become great. That's how people become champions. It's not overnight. All of a sudden, you're the the best fighter in the world. You have to piecemeal that thing throughout an entire career. So I would say that that's what I would say about having everything pulled together. Obviously, unless you wake up in the United States Marine Corps, 
In that case, you are the best fighter in the world simply by waking up. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. true story. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate those insights. And that's, you know, I think those are fair play. You know, this, this is just, I, I knew it was shit when I set it up, but it was better than the, <laughs> I, I know you can see the pink wall back here, blank wall. It's better uh, than the first one where he, he didn't tell me he was recording for the sake of publishing. I was literally sitting on my bed. Oh, wow. Yeah, we ain't going to go down that one. But that being said, the storytelling, emotional responses, things like that, whether you're a guy or gal who makes people laugh, whether you're a person who makes them regret or, or cry or feel scared, feel happy, whatever it is, I, I find that if you can have an emotional response during whatever it is you're trying to present at some point in that, people are more likely to latch on to the whatever it is you're trying to educate or share. And I think those are mm -hmm. crucial. Most of the time people are laughing because I'm falling on stage, but hey, it works. <laughs> so, I know we're up on time, so I want to be mindful of the hour, but I don't know if Elliot has any other things he wants no, to No, take or... us home, man. Wrap it. No. So, Ron, Chris, thank you all very, very much for y'all's time today. This is obviously, for me, it's, it's I'll admit to Elliot, it's impressive that we've, we're starting year three of this journey at season three of this. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a great way to kick this off. So thank you all for letting us use your name <laughs> to get season three off the ground. But more Absolutely. importantly, thank you all for your insights. Thank you all for the knowledge that you all bring to the community as a whole, consistently and persistently. And for anyone else that's listening, once again, if you don't know Ron and Chris, but somehow you're listening to us, <laughs> you, you started the wrong direction, but we appreciate it. And for those of y'all who obviously should know Ron and Chris before us, thank y'all for coming to listen to us chat with them today. And we look forward to seeing y'all grow even more. And congratulations on all y'all's success, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Congrats to you. Here's a season three. Thank you for joining AZT, an independent series. Your hosts have been Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis. To learn more about Zero Trust, go to AdoptingZeroTrust.com. Subscribe to our newsletter or join our Slack community. Viewpoints expressed during the show do not reflect the brands, employers, or companies of our hosts, guests, or potential sponsors.